Chapter 53 of Mystery of the Sea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jenny Hoops. Mystery of the Sea by Bram Stoker. Chapter 53 From the Deep. It could not have been more than a few minutes before I recovered consciousness, if, indeed, I were ever absolutely unconscious. It was rather the inevitable yielding to a strain on nerve and muscle and brain than a time of oblivion. I think that I always knew that I was by the sea and that Marjorie was beside me and in trouble, but that was all. I was in the nightmare stage, when one can understand danger and realize terror, and when the only thing impossible to one is to do anything. Certainly when I came to myself, I was fully conscious of my surroundings. I was even surprised that I did not see on Marjorie's pale face the cold, faint gleam of light which had been there when last I saw her. The general light had, however, increased. The strand and the rocks looked now not black, but inexpressibly drear, in the uniform gray which seemed to make all color and shape and distance into one sad, flat screen. My first work was, of course, to attend Marjorie. For a while I feared that she was dead, so white was she amid the surrounding gray, but her heart still beat, and her breast moved, though very slightly, with her breathing. I could now see that we were in Broad Haven, and so, close to my own home. I could see through the pierced rock called the Puriman. I took my wife in my arms and carried her, though with infinite difficulty, for I was sorely exhausted, up the steep path and brought her into the house. I had to break the door in again, but there was no one to help me or to interfere in the matter. I got some brandy and poured a few drops into her mouth and laid her in a pile of rugs whilst I lit the fire. The supply of wind bushes in the woodhouse was not exhausted, and very soon there was a roaring fire. When Marjorie opened her eyes and looked around the room, a certain amount of consciousness came to her. She imagined the occasion of her being with me was the same as when we had escaped from the flooded cave. Holding out her arms, she said to me with infinite love and sweetness, "'Thank God, dear, you are safe!' A moment later she rubbed her eyes and sat up, looking wildly around as one does after a hideous dream. In her survey, however, her eyes lit on her own figure, and a real wave of shame swept over her. She hastily pulled the rug round her shoulders and sank back. The habit of personal decorum had conquered fear. She closed her eyes for a moment or two to remember, and when she opened them, was in full possession of all her faculties and her memory. "'It was no dream! It is all, all real!' "'And I owe my life to you, darling, once again.' "'I kissed her, and she sank back with a sigh of happiness. 
A moment later, however, she started up, crying out to me, But the others, where are they? Quick, quick, let us go to help them if we can. She looked wildly round. I understood her wishes, and hurrying into the other room brought her an armful of her clothes. In a few minutes she joined me, and hand in hand we went out on the edge of the cliff. As we went, I told her of what had happened since she became unconscious in the water. The wind was now blowing fiercely, almost a gale. The sea had risen, till great waves driving amongst the rocks had thrashed the whole region of the scares into a wild field of foam. Below us, the waves dashing over the sunken rocks broke on the shore with a loud roaring and washed high above the place where we had lain. The fog had lifted, and objects could be seen even at a distance. Far out, some miles away, lay a great ship, and by the outermost of the scares, a little to the north of the great rock and where the sunken reef lies, rose part of a broken mast. But there was nothing else to be seen, except away to south, a yacht tossing about under double-reefed sails. Sea and sky were of a leaden grey, and the heavy clouds that drifted before the gale came so low as to make us think that they were the fog belts risen from the sea. Marjorie would not be contented till we had roused the whole village of Winniefold, and with them had gone all round the cliffs and looked into every little opening to see if there were trace or sign of any of those who had been wrecked with us. But it was all in vain. We sent a mounted messenger off to Crom with a note, for we knew in what terrible anxiety Mrs. Jack must be. In an incredibly short time, the good lady was with us, and was rocking Marjorie in her arms, crying and laughing over her wildly. By and by she got round the carriage from the village and said to us, And now, my dears, I suppose we had better get back to Crom, where you can rest yourselves after this terrible time. Marjorie came over to me, and holding my arm looked at her old nurse lovingly, as she said with deep earnestness, you had better go back, dear, and get things ready for us. As for me, I shall never willingly leave my husband's side again. The storm continued for a whole day, growing rougher and wilder with each hour. For another day it grew less and less, till finally the wind had died away, and only the rough waves spoke of what had been. Then the sea began to give up its dead. Some seamen, presumably those of the Wilhelmina, were found along the coast between Winniefold and Old Slains, and the bodies of two of the blackmailers, terribly mangled, were washed ashore at Cruden Bay. The rest of the sailors and of the desperados were never found. Whether they escaped by some miracle, or were swallowed in the sea, will probably never be known. Strangest of all was the finding of Don Bernardino. The body of the gallant Spanish gentleman was found washed up on shore behind the Lord Nelson Rock, just opposite where had been the opening to the cave in which his noble ancestor had hidden the Pope's treasure, 
it was as though the sea itself had respected his devotion and had laid him by the place of his trust marjorie and i saw his body brought home to spain when the war was over and laid amongst the tombs of his ancestors we petitioned the crown and though no actual leave was given no objection was made to our removing the golden figure of san cristobal which benvenuto had wrought for the pope it now stands over the spaniard's tomb in the church of san cristobal in far castile end of chapter 53 from the deep recording by jenny hoops end of mystery of the sea by bram stoker